0: All right, um, Richard, can you open us in prayer? Yes. So last week we were looking at how man was made, uh, that he was uh, created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and that he's made in the image of God. So, what page are you on? We are now on page 20. And we're looking at the section: Man was given dominion over the rest of creation. So we're looking at what's called the cultural mandate. Uh, someone would read for me Genesis one and verse twenty-eight. God blessed them, and God said.
1: Be fruitful
0: and multiply. Fill the earth and it. All right. So God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, uh, and then have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing. Uh, so, what two basic tasks did God assign to Adam? Be
1: fruitful and multiply, and do the earth.
0: Yeah. So there is, there is the aspect of replenishing, um, and then there is the aspect of subduing, uh, keeping it in check. Um, Adam is to to subdue, he's to keep and guard, um, he's to watch over the earth. Uh, why is it that we see Adam being given this duty? Why Adam and not the lion the king of the jungle
2: I guess because man is special
0: Yeah, Uh, I mean, mentioned last week when we were talking about man made in the image of God that this is what makes man the height of God's creation. Um, No other animal has been given a soul. Uh, No other thing in all creation has been made in the image of God. It's only man Uh, I forgot who I was reading that said this Uh, I was reading someone this past week and he said uh, that Adam is given this dominion because in being made from the dust of the earth but being given the breath of life in the image of God uh, he is the Blending of physical and spiritual. Nothing else in all creation is both physical and spiritual besides man. All of creation uh, that we see, plants, animals, anything like that, it's only physical. And then when you think about uh, other created beings, the angels, the demons, they're only spiritual beings. But man is the only one who is both physical and spiritual. And so that is why uh, he is given this command as God's representative of the spiritual on earth. He is to reign over the physical. I thought that was an, an interesting insight that I hadn't really thought about. Um. Let's look at Psalm 8 and verse 6. Psalm 8, verse 6, uh, David says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Uh, So looking at this, understanding this, what is man's relationship to the rest of God's creation?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so that's man's role
1: well I think you can take that to the military too the, the commanding general has the final say but the uh, troops are given responsibilities and autonomy mm-hmm. to uh, operate under that authority Yeah. taking God's creation, and um, using it in a a proper way. Um, We're actually helping, rather than hurting, Mm -hmm. by getting rid of some of these animals. And by the way, they're helping us as well. Um, So it's it's a mutual benefit. Mm -hmm. And then when we stop doing that, I think it's interesting, when we stop exerting dominion, what happens? And I don't know if you've ever paid any attention, but the city of Gary, Indiana, is falling apart. Because no one, in many cases, uh, the population has gone from, I don't know, 100,000 to 25,000. So all the, like the train station, have a, union, have a union station in Gary, no longer being used. And there's trees growing up in the lobby. There's a big Methodist church down there. Huge place. It's been vacant for 50 years. And the roofs collapsed. And they have time-lapse pictures of the wild taking it over. Hmm. So if we don't continue to insert the so it's a continual thing we're supposed to be doing. We don't just do it once and we're done. So we have to. We have a responsibility to take care of what God has given us responsibility. For. So this property, the properties we live in, um, are, 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 you know, and so forth. For example, uh, we have dominion, and we have to uh, take care of it properly. So that's a uh, that's a responsibility God has given to us. Mm. And then we aggregate it, and things fall apart no longer have vegetable gardens growing. We have wheat gardens. Things like that. So I also think this is, so it's something that God's given us once. It's continual. We have to exert dominion continually.
0: Yeah, so if we're to exert dominion continually, which I agree we are, how is this uh, distinct from the idea known as Dominionism, that you see uh, Reconstructionists like Rush oh, Dooney or Bonson uh, advocating for. Well, first of all, I couldn't define what the term, what the, that term. Um, I've read Rush
1: Dooney, but I'm not familiar with it. Mm. I guess. It's
2: Yeah. Uh, I guess Christians are to take control of, I don't know, governments. Um, Or I think of the uh, uh, Christian nationalism movements, that a government is not legitimate unless it's
1: run by Christians. Um, Well, the RPCA would say But it's not theonomy. In a way. Yeah, it's not theonomy. So we're looking, Christ is king and head of the church. Christ is also king and head of of all things. And we we, we believe that. But that's that's an interesting question.
0: Yeah, Uh, so... You
1: you have to draw a line somewhere. mm -hmm. And they draw it all the way over here.
0: Yeah, I, I think... I think what I would say is the distinction is they blend or conflate the, uh, the sacred and the secular, the ecclesiastical and the civil, um, to the point to where it's indistinguishable what differentiates the church and a Christian bookstore. Um, And so their motto or or their, you know, maxim that they live by is to Christianize all society. And we would say, yes, we want society to uh, become more Christian. And we do that by uh, sharing the gospel. And then we subdue the earth physically by keeping it, maintaining it, checking it. But the way that we see society uh, brought to Christ is through the, the evangelism of individuals. Whereas dominionists would say that our dominion mandate extends into just Christianizing all of society. Which in turn would mean the way that we make society Christian is by opening a Christian bookstore or a Christian coffee shop or a Christian uh, sandwich shop. And and it's not actually spreading the gospel. They're hoping that the gospel is spread by proxy. Um, And so they see that as our dominion mandate, make every aspect of society Christian. Uh, we would argue that there should be Christian governments, that every magistrate is obliged to, uh, recognize the crown rights of King Jesus to kiss the sun. Uh, but we wouldn't go as far as, as what you mentioned of saying, uh, like the Christian nationalists that, that governments are illegitimate if they do not do that, uh, We would say they're in sin. We would call them to repentance. But that's not what makes an illegitimate government. And we see that in scripture. Um, And so there there is this balance, like you're saying. There's this balance we have to have between being active and engaging in society, in civil affairs, in government. But also recognizing the historic distinction between... The ecclesiastical and the civil sphere.
1: So um, I think it's Kuiper uses, and um, so at least what I understood, you have the the, the, the circle, mm-hmm. and you have Christianity. You have the other circle, and you have social, civil society. And where those two merge, so they're 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 each individual places or their things. And uh, then you have the individual. Uh, so there's three three circles. And where they converge is where the gospel is preached, essentially. Um, it's where the mm. lives are changed. Um, so you have um, in the world, on uh, one side, Christianity on the other, and the individual. And then you have this meeting um, so that they exist separately Um, and yet there is uh, influence given to them by the church Mm -hmm. and unfortunately there's also influence to the church from the world so you have to recognize all the influences Mm -hmm. and how they can impact uh, on what's going on so I like the illustration because it makes you stop and think about it three the three dominions. And you can throw in another dominion if you want. Uh it,
0: it doesn't matter. But um three three's three's enough to keep my mind going. Yeah, Kuiper's Kuiper sphere sovereignty um is probably the most prevalent view in Christianity in America today. Um and there's some good aspects to it. Um the issue that I have with Kuiper's sphere sovereignty isn't so much with Kuiper, but with the neo-Kuiperians who came after him, which went and made that distinction between the three spheres even greater than than what Kuiper would argue. Um, I don't agree with everything Kuiper said in regards to sphere sovereignty and civil government. Um, obviously, I'm a Covenant or not a right. Um so I don't agree with everything, but I think he was closer to the correct answer than than the neo kyperians and and the neo kyperians took his sphere sovereignty, made sharp distinctions with very little blending between them um, and that's what we see in modern evangelicalism that's why that's why you have people who can say you know i'm a christian i go to church every week i love the lord jesus christ you know i'm i'm a believer and yet go out and vote for wicked men it's because they see there's a sharp distinction you know they'll come to church on sunday and profess the lord and then on tuesday on voting day they'll go out and vote in people who will Advocate for the murder of children. Um, Or on the other side, come to church every day and uh, profess the Lord, and then they'll go into their workplace and never once mention Christ because they see that different spheres of their life are distinct and don't have to converge. Um, and many in the evangelical church, and I think that's why there's an overly aggressive pushback on this Christian nationalism stuff. Um, most people in the evangelical church would say that separation of church and state has to be there. And that separation of church and state means that the church can't have any influence into the government. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's not fair very-
0: no, it's not.
2: The, the idea of Christian nationalism is that uh, they would not—they would say that there is no separation of
0: church and state. Yeah, Christian nationalists. Yeah, yeah. And, and we would say that that church and state are distinct entities. But the whole notion of separation of church and state is a is an Enlightenment philosophy, and it has no grounding in Scripture. Um, We believe that they are distinct entities, but the state is to be a nursing mother and a nursing father to the church. And the church is to call upon the magistrate to rule according to the precepts of the Lord and kiss the son. That's a mutually beneficial uh, relationship. That's not separation. Um, I disagree with the Christian nationalists. I Most Christian nationalists are more influenced by heretics like Doug Wilson than they are by the scripture. And so, you know, we could have a whole Sunday school series on why Christian nationalism is flawed. Um, So I don't want you to think I'm sitting here advocating for that. but.
1: I never thought in one minute. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but this, this notion of separation of church and state is ungodly, and it's unbiblical. Um, it's not constitutional, no matter how much people want to say that it is. Nowhere in the Constitution do we see separation of church and state. Um, and I really don't care what the Constitution says anyway, because it's a godless Constitution that upholds uh, wicked sins.
2: Um, and I guess there are other aspects of life where uh, you have Christians trying to replace uh, a secular.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, the, the health insurance
0: market, yeah. That's really um, what, two or three companies doing that now. Yeah, and I can somewhat understand the desire for Christian healthcare companies. Um, a lot of those things, like Samaritan's Purse, stuff like that, happened at the height of uh, the Reconstructionist movement, so I'm sure that there was some influence there. Um, although I don't know of any of them that are directly connected with Reconstructionist people. Um, but even, even so, I can understand a desire for Christian health care in certain instances. Uh, say you live in New York City and Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in the state of New York every time that you pay your premium on your insurance, that money is going to pay for someone else's abortion. I can, I can see why people's consciences would preclude them from going into a secular uh, healthcare program, and why they would want a Christian alternative. Um, Now the problem comes and most of these Christian alternatives are really not good insurance. They don't, they don't actually cover you very well. Um, and most of them are extremely pietistic. Um, they they won't let you, some of them won't let you consume alcohol while you're on their policies. I don't know of any of them that'll let you smoke tobacco products while you're on their policies. Um, there's holdovers of, you know, evangelical pietism in them. Um, so it's a trade-off. But uh, what you're saying is correct. That is an example of this notion of Christianizing society, having Christian alternatives. Um, I agree with you. There
1: there's companies that have uh, Christians helm. And they turned it into, I'm thinking of Paul Turno and the Earth Moving Equipment he made. Mm -hmm. Um, Massive company. Um, It's been bought by somebody else now. But he was a he was a born again Christian and devoted a lot of his income from the company to Christian causes. So there's but those are not companies founded to be Christian. Yeah. And, but they're run by Christians, and that's the distinction as well. Mm-hmm. That as a head of a company, if I was if I had employees, I have an obligation. Um, here as part of that, gracious mandate. I think to take proper care mm-hmm. of those people under me. As well. Yeah.
0: It's also yeah. a duty required in the fifth commandment, as yes. as your. As being their superior.
1: Yeah. So, so we have an obligation that we need to care for and nurture the people. Um. That's that you know so there's a it's an interesting conundrum when you have Mm -hmm. a a company that's trying to be Christian run by Christians. Yeah. And I know several um around there's a. um, company over in Holland, Michigan, that um, um, right mm-hmm. as you come in, the company's purpose is, is uh, stated and um, you know, they want to make a new product and so forth, and then they also want to glorify Christ by the excellence of what they do. So it's not, um, I, I, I read it. So there's companies like that out there, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I've run into two or three of them. Um, Yeah. I I, I just think
2: there's a subculture Christians, uh-huh. and uh, a lot of times, sometimes the products are not as on par with the secular counterparts, or it's inferior because it's just catering to the few.
0: yeah, yeah, and that's a dilemma. And we need to we need to be careful not to like the gospel is exclusionary, yes. The gospel excludes those who are outside of Christ. But we need to be careful not to be exclusionary in our lives. Um, that's the error of the Anabaptists who, you know, you got the Mennonites, you got the Amish, you got the brethren. They're exclusive. They're exclusionary. Um, we need to be careful not to do that. And I think there are a lot of people who... Who get on this bandwagon of Christianize everything, that eventually lead down the road to the same mentality as the Mennonites or the Amish or the Brethren, in so far as you know exclusion from society. Um, it it no longer becomes. It's interesting. Their whole goal was transforming society, and then it becomes, well, just don't be part of society because it won't be transformed. Um it's it's interesting. Um but you're see you're seeing that out in Moscow, Idaho right now with Doug Wilson and his little crew. You know, this whole mentality of trying to Christianize society and wanting every little particular thing that you ever come in contact with in your life to be Christian, to where they're not actually engaging with the society that they're in. They're creating their little compound, their little commune, and becoming exclusive, becoming exclusionary. And that's why people, that's one reason why people hate them uh, in Moscow is because they have this elitist exclusionary mindset where they're not actually engaging the culture. Even though that's that's all that they talk about doing is engaging the culture, fighting the cultural war, they're not doing any of that. They're creating an echo chamber in their little commune there in the corner of Moscow, Idaho. And it's just, a, they're not actually doing anything for the gospel. Actually,
1: I'm sorry. they
0: are damaging the gospel. Yeah. The um,
1: attitudes this permissiveness of the things that they allow. Um, And I know of some people that are refugees from Moscow. And um, while they were not directly influenced, I'm sorry, affected by the uh, perversions of some of the people, some of their friends were. Hmm. And They've, um, um, you know, they've seen it, and they, they've left, and they've left the church uh, also. So there's, there's um, a resentment of what was going on. And these are members that used to attend here, mm-hmm. um, that moved out to Moscow. Yes, we got a couple of families caught up in it back when I first started. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to understand what was going on. Because it was, to get a definition of the federal vision from them, or from Wilson, was impossible. Um, Still is. Yeah, it, it kept moving. And uh, they would argue, well, that's what they believe over there, not, not me. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some things where Wilson's tried to defend his position recently. Um, Suddenly, this is coming back. I thought we'd put it to bed for a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's, he's out making all sorts of noise, trying to show how orthodox he is and um, how, how uh, it's sad. Um, so,
0: Yeah, so I I think we have to be mindful of our duty to engage the culture and our duty to uh, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, this cultural mandate that is still given to us. Uh, We have to be mindful of these things, but we can't put that at odds with what scripture teaches about us being in the world but not of it you know the asceticism monasticism is not it's not our answer to the problems of this world Um, getting up on Sunday morning from behind this pulpit and preaching inflammatory sermons or creating a YouTube channel where I'm sitting on a burning couch, smoking a cigar using curse words um, and then creating and then creating this little following that just waits on my every beck and call. That's not doing this either. That's a cult. It's a cult, yeah. um, and there may be one out there in the Pacific Northwest uh, that's doing this. Mm-hmm. Moscow. Uh, well, <laughs> I think
1: Pacific Northwest is over
0: Well, yeah.
1: Washington. I agree.
0: Um. And so we got to be we got to be careful not to not to let. The cultural mandate, this dominion mandate, and our desire for Christian things uh, negate what Scripture says in regards to being in the world, but not of it. Um, And I think that's where the balance has to come in. You know, we can send our kids to Christian schools, and that's okay. We can get Christian health insurance. That's okay. We can shop at a Christian bookstore. That's okay, um, but if you're not actually out engaging your community, if you're not engaging your workplace uh, for the gospel, then then all you're doing is creating your own little uh, pseudo subculture monastic lifestyle. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, now it's you- interesting. I- so, Richard, you're in an interesting position you in your workplace. And you you are all alone. On yes. So your your opportunity to have influence for Christ with your workmates is is fairly. You know, the, the casual conversations you have around the water cooler uh, don't exist to, to, to some degree. Uh, at least from my experience in working remote, um, I'd call people when I needed help or needed something. and We talk about that. Um, I think it's a, it's an it's an interesting interesting dilemma on how do you um, how do you influence your price and uh, are, you know you do your job excellently, you you uh, you know do things like that, but there's uh, you don't have that opportunity as much for a little chit chat. Mm-hmm. Unless you unless you create them uh, to do those things, um, so it's it's an interesting movement with this that that COVID has created, um, where you're you're working remote. Stephen is working somewhat remote. My daughter Heather, it's an event when she was in the office, and she was in the office this week. Spent the day in the office and saw you know these people and set up all sorts of meetings. It was like I'm going to make a drive. Let me go make a while. Well, she used to make a drive every day, and it was no big deal. Now it's an event hmm. when she was in the office. At least it hurt for her. In her. Um, so um, it's really quite interesting how do we influence the workplace for Christ. When we're
0: not there, and it, I think it's, it's it's a book that needs to be explored. Yeah, I think this is definitely a a new uh, yeah. environment that yeah. we've never. But like, I don't I don't know of any Christian who has actually taken the time to sit down and write on this topic and oh, how to yet. do that. Um, and it's something that 10 years ago really wasn't a thing. 30 years ago definitely wasn't a thing.
1: I worked remotely for the past four years. Yeah. But I was a salesman. Yeah. Um, and my, you know, so i go into the office at that point. At one point, of my office was in New Jersey. Well, I I wouldn't go that often. I wasn't in the case one them all the time. And I wouldn't go in the office. again, it was an event. I went in the office, it was a big deal. Um, I made sure I got all these things to do. Mm-hmm. People lined up to see like others do now. So it's, um, so I've done it for a long time. And having, it's tough. Um, and I found I had better, I had more contact with my customers and the opportunity to um, be have some witness for price with them. I couldn't do it in my marketplace, mm-hmm. but I could have some discussions,
0: and so forth, with my customers. Yeah, yeah. Even even the remote jobs of the past were still very contact oriented. Yeah. You know the door-to-door salesmen, the traveling salesmen like you, going to companies, uh, making pitches to people in person. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're seeing with remote working now. No. Uh, Richard, on an average day at your job, do you see people who you work with in person?
2: No, I don't see them. Uh, But occasionally, we do have our teams meetings. Mm -hmm. We do connect at least once a week. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Of course, it's very like a Zoom meeting. Zoom, but it's Microsoft. Yeah, my,
0: same thing, video conferencing. Yeah, and that, and that is, that's where your influence is going to have to take place, is in just regular interactions pertaining to work in uh, them recognizing by your actions, by your speech, by your demeanor, by your diligence in your job that something is different. Um, and there may be occasions where you can, you can actually present the gospel to people, um, but those situations aren't going to come the same as if you were going to an office 9 to 5 every Monday through Friday and seeing these people face-to-face, you know, sitting down, having lunch with them, stuff like that but just the um,
1: fact that if they know who you are mm-hmm. they know that you go to church that you're um, you know tr- trying to be a faithful servant of christ um, you- you'll have an impact yeah and i think of fick uh, men who's an elder now in Elkhart. Uh, he was my employee at one point and he came to me said bob and he saw something in in terms of how I dealt with things that other people didn't have. And he wanted to get his he wanted to understand more about it. Um, but he didn't want to hear it from me, he wanted, he wanted me to get him a, a pastor to talk to him. Um, he said, you probably know a pastor. So keep with came and share the gospel with him and to the Lord. But my demeanor at work and how I did things at work had an impact. Um, you know, when, when panic hit, I didn't. You know, there, I handled things differently. I didn't. I didn't lash out at him. For example, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, it was a team. We tried to work together, and uh, so forth. And it was, you know, looking back on it, I wasn't trying to do anything overt. I was trying to be a Christian in the workplace. And it had an influence. So my how I handled things, what I did is I interacted with people, it had an impact for Christ. Um, even though I, I wasn't trying to be what well, I, I wasn't trying to try to win everybody to Christ at that point. I was just trying to do my job of excellence. Mm. That's the standard that we as Christians should always have. That we should always do our job with of excellence. Of whatever it is we're assigned to do. So I'm at the hospital, and in comes Mr. Brown. He is the trash man. And he comes in, I go, Well, hello, Mr. Brown. I'm going to see you today. He's got a spot on his face. He's, he, he's, he's uh, you know, uh, I say, You know, Mr. Brown, this place is fall apart without you. And he, he, he laughs. So he, he was, I don't know, we never got into Christianity. But I had a Bible there and saw it and commented about it. But, because um, um, he was scurrying around into things. And we, we, you know, we just interacted on a certain level. But, um, you know, he, he was happy and cheerful. He had the lowest job in the hospital. And yet, he was joyful. Rejoicing and happy in what he did. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I looked at him, interesting, interesting guy. He was, he was uh, very satisfied with his whole life. That's where he was. He's gonna, he's gonna not, not do about it. So there was an interesting observation about how we as Christians can have an influence for Christ by just doing our jobs the right way, by not being, nip, you know, you know, yes, there's things we should complain about when things are not being done right, um, but we need to do it constructively uh, in a way that's helpful, um, and that's tough sometimes with all the grumbling going on. What do you see that this is
2: different than the Great Commission mandate that this? Coal-
0: I mean they play they play hand in hand with each other. So um uh, the the great commission to go into all nations and make disciples is one aspect. Uh but the cultural mandate, the dominion mandate extends further than that uh into all areas. Uh so So where the Great Commission is specifically focused on evangelizing and making disciples, the Dominion Mandate has that aspect. So yes, that's part of the Dominion Mandate. Being fruitful and multiplying also implies spiritual multiplication, where we make disciples that way, multiply that way. But it has a physical aspect to it as well of Continuing to subdue the earth, uh, continuing to to keep and maintain creation as the one who rules over creation uh, in the uh, in the delegated authority that the Lord has given us. Does that make sense? So. Great Commission is specific to evangelizing. The cultural mandate includes that, but also extends to our duties as stewards of the earth.
2: It would be something broader mm-hmm. than the Great
0: Commission. Yeah. And I, I think the way that we maintain this balance, we keep this balance, is by recognizing that this is a delegated authority that is given to us. Um, we have no authority in and of ourselves in the Great Commission. We, we read that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Um, and so we don't have this authority in ourselves. It is given to us. Uh, and we see that it is Christ who ultimately has all things in subjection under his feet. Uh, Hebrews 2 Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them, God also bearing them witness? both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, but but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So there we see that Psalm 8 uh, passage Being connected specifically to Christ that it is Christ whom all authority in heaven and earth is given it is Christ who has uh, been given dominion over all things and all things have been put in subjection under his feet Um, we read this also in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 uh, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and given him to be a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. That filleth all in all. It's Christ who is the head over all things, who rules over all things, and uh, subjects all things under His feet. And the this is you know we talked about last week. We're made in the image of God, and we have these characteristics that model after Him: uh, knowledge, righteousness, holiness. We're called to imitate Christ. And and this dominion mandate uh, that he has given us as stewards of the earth, uh, this great commission that he has given us as stewards of the gospel, In, in fulfilling these things, that is how we imitate Christ who has dominion over all things, who rightly and perfectly stewards creation, uh, holding the world in the palm of his hand, uh, who, who rightly and perfectly stewarded salvation uh, in the gospel by purchasing uh, salvation with his own blood and sending his spirit to effectually apply that salvation into believers and so our duty is to imitate Christ in this dominion or cultural mandate uh, we are out of time any other questions or comments before we call it alright Bob can you close us in prayer yeah.
1: Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, as we now come before your house, come your house worship. Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with Joshua as he opens the word for us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us and you're watching out for this particular church. Lord, as we continue to think about this cultural mandate, Lord, challenge us, help us to evaluate um, our own lives. We thank you for this day.